Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program when we're also going to share some exciting offers for you. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. So in 10 days, Jews around the world will be celebrating Hanukkah. And over the years working with Christians, I have discovered that many people know that Hanukkah exists, but don't know more, much more about it than maybe that it's a Jewish version of Christmas. We're going to discuss that today. We're going to discuss all about Hanukkah. And to do so, I am thrilled to invite back a good friend and by full disclosure, my next door neighbor, Rabbi Avi Baumel. Rabbi Baumel is a thoughtful and gifted communicator who we are privileged to have back on Inspiration from Zion, again, for the latest segment of Ask the Rabbi. Rabbi Baumel was born in New York and graduated from Yeshiva University with a BA and an MA in medieval Jewish history. He has rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva University and Rabbi Zalman Nehemiah Goldberg. Rabbi Baumel is an alumnus of Yeshivat Har Etzion here in Israel and a former rabbi of Sharat Sedek Synagogue in Vancouver, British Columbia. Since 2014, Rabbi Baumel has served as the rabbinic representative of, of the chief rabbi of Poland in Krakow. It's been an especially busy year uh, this year dealing with things that I suspect we never would have imagined he would have been speaking about as the rabbi in Krakow. He spends two weeks a month there helping the revival of the uh, Jewish community in Krakow and has learned Polish as well, through which he's able to interact with the Jewish community, but also with many non-Jews, including Christians with whom he interacts and for whom he holds regular classes. I want to mention right now Rabbi Baumel's book, Moadim Simcha customs and meanings of the Jewish festivals, which can be found on Amazon. And we're going to post the link here because it has a special uh, section about Hanukkah, which is our topic today. Rabbi Baumel made Aliyah in 2003. He's a highly regarded teacher, author, lecturer, and a licensed tour guide, which we're also going to draw on today. He lives here in Efrat with his wife and five children. Rabbi Baumel, it is always a delight to see you, whether it's across the hall or by Zoom. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast and to be able to communicate messages to the greater world. Yeah, so thank you. So I want to share, speaking about greater world, I love, I, and I love how you are able to interact with such a wide variety of people, which is why it's fun to have you back. But I want to share a story as we jump into the whole issue of what is Hanukkah and why are we celebrating and what are we celebrating about two years ago. I was doing a Zoom briefing myself, a teaching for pastors throughout Africa. And it was fun and it was delightful. And as one might expect, although I didn't expect it at the time, for people not in a Western culture, a Judeo-Christian culture, if you will, they didn't know much about Hanukkah. So one of the things we, I went on about the teachings, probably in a less scholarly way and, a, and certainly a less rabbinic way than you would, and one of the first questions when I finished, was from a rabbi, a rabbi, a pastor in, in Africa who said, wow, this is such a charming and fun holiday. How come you don't celebrate it more often? Which is a great, right? Which is a great topic. So so let's talk about it. Why, why do we celebrate Hanukkah now on the 25th of the biblical month of Heshvan? What's significant about Kislev. that? Kislev, excuse me, we're in Heshvan, Kislev. Yeah, Hanukkah is a fun holiday. Um, the, you know, the Bible uh, gives us um, Moadim festivals, and they are very uh, regimented. Some are historical in nature and some are agricultural in nature, but they're um, epitomized by the uh, prohibition to do any work 
And so um, the celebration comes from the fact that we are uh, not in the fields, we're not working, um, we're not engaging in any creativity uh, in the modern world, and therefore we sit at home and um, we share uh, our holiday together. The rabbinic holidays, however, um, they don't have those prohibitions, so it's really just all fun. And uh, that kind of manifests itself in uh, a lot of different traditions and customs. But they all, all the rabbinic holidays relate to a historical event that took place throughout the thousands of years that uh, Jews have uh, have been around, either in the land of Israel or outside of the land uh, since uh, the giving of the Torah. So what do you mean when you talk about rabbinical holidays? Some people might think that everything's rabbinic because we're all Jews. And rabbis are are our religious leaders, so duh. But what do you mean by rabbinic holidays? Well, rabbis are our religious leaders today, but uh, until a few thousand years ago, that wasn't the case. Um, The way that the Bible sets it up is that uh, they were different types of leaders, and it's probably a pretty healthy way to go about having a a country or a nation led. There was political leadership, and there was spiritual leadership, and there was uh, other other forms of, of leadership as well. So therefore, um, anything related to ritual uh, and custom uh, and uh, and Jewish law, the, the priests were actually the leaders. So the priests, uh, the priests were the leaders for uh, ever since Aaron, uh, the high priest, um, for many, many years. And in our Hanukkah story, that they actually, the kings become our priests, so that it kind of comes back. Um, but that was on the priestly level, on the religious level. Uh, there was also the king. And the king was a, or, the, or the, the judge or the king. He was the political leader. He went into battle. And uh, everything related to the organization of the nation on, a, on the civil level, um, that was done by the king. And uh, the, the priest and the king shared leadership roles. There was another personality who was most fascinating, and that was the prophet. Um, he was wow. kind of like this roving um, <laughs> her personality, somewhat uh, um, unique, um, always uh, yelling at the people, telling them they needed to do a little better, receiving word from God. He was kind of a loner. So um, you, when you saw the, the prophet, uh, that was uh, you were scared, but you were also uh, inspired. Whereas the, the the other central figures, you know, the priest was always uh, in the temple, and the, the the king was always where the king should be, whether on the battlefield or in the uh, or in the palace. So all of those were the leadership until the temple was destroyed. Once the temple is destroyed, then there's no longer a king, there's no longer a priest, or at least a functioning priest, and there's certainly no longer a prophet. And uh, around 2,000 years ago, there already had been this uh, developing this idea of, uh, in addition to all those, there's this rabbinic um, um, dynasty of, of rabbis who are interpreting the words of the Torah, and they become center stage. They become the, the leaders um, who give guidance to how the Jews should navigate in the world that's either exilic outside of the land in exile or a return to the land. And the rabbis have been doing that for thousands of years. So that's why when I talk about the rabbis, I'm referring to rabbis who were the bearers of the Torah, the word of God, who were the interpreters of the word of God, who guided us by giving, teaching us the commandments of the Torah, the word of God, but also um, created new holidays or commandments related to uh, how, you know, the evolving nature of society throughout the thousands of years. And therefore, a rabbi 2,000 years ago or 500 years ago or today might uh, say uh, to his community that uh, there is a new uh, need for uh, adding something also, but it's going to be obviously on a rabbinic level because the Bible is closed. Fascinating. So it's great. And, and maybe for a conversation in the spring, but that leads to uh, the the um, issue that we have specifically here in Israel of, of how to observe Yom Hatzma'ud, Independence Day, uh, because that's certainly not a biblical holiday. It's the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, but it's not a a biblical holiday. And it's not, I I suppose, not yet a rabbinic holiday. 
Well, that's the source of uh, of a big discussion. That's correct. Um, there, there are lots of rabbis and um, different views about uh, the nature of the return of the Jewish people to uh, to their homeland. Um, I mean, we're of one view. Uh, we think that is, uh, as you say, a manifestation of the biblical prophecy and a, a, mir- a miraculous uh, existence which warrants uh, a holiday um, of great dimension. Uh, other Jews, uh, other rabbis uh, are not so uh, excited about the idea. Jews in general, rabbis in general are conservative, uh, small C. Yeah. They, they, um, they aren't ready to create new things all the time. So therefore, when Hanukkah is created as a holiday, um, it first of all it takes some time to, uh, to, to, for people to join in and accept it. But then it becomes a, a very important day. Excellent. So, so in theory, if in the year 69 BCE, there had been a group of rabbis in New York watching the New York Mets win the B- 69 BCE World Series, the, the rabbis in New York could have deemed that a miracle and created a holiday around that, in theory. Listen, growing up in New York and being a Mets fan uh, after 69, um i i would say uh 86 was what was a day of great joyousness for uh for all uh all new yorkers and uh jews and ironically it was the i think that the world series was on like a jewish festival ah, and it, you, we couldn't watch uh we couldn't watch the game so uh for sure mets mets baseball certainly warrants to be up there with uh great <laughs> With the rededication of the temple, so why? So why are we talking about Hanukkah? It's about twenty two hundred years old, right? That this we're talking about this, but but go, let's go back to my uh, African pastor friend who asked the question: Why don't we celebrate it more often? It sounds like such a great holiday. <laughs> why why do we celebrate it when we do? And what and what are we celebrating? Yeah, that's a it's a great question, and it's the source of um, a whole bunch of uh, literature, um, academic. Uh, discussion and articles um it's not as simple as when we were kids we learned a very simple narrative the simple narrative uh was that um in a there's a hebrew date called the 25th day of the month of kislev and on that month something special happened in the year 165 bce um and that teaches us about the eight day festival called Hanukkah, which um, seemed to have taken place um, by the Maccabees um, when they were fighting against the Greeks. And that, of course, those battles took over many years. But nevertheless, there was one period in which um, they, they, they succeeded enough against the Greeks. They're in the land of Israel and they're fighting against the Greeks. They succeed enough to go and say, let's go rededicate the temple. Let's remember that the temple, which was built by Solomon in around the year 1000 and destroyed by the by Babylonians in the year 586, BC. was rebuilt in 516 by Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. And um, it's, it's still in the second temple is still functioning. And it's the, this second temple that... Um, that was taken over after the Greek invade the Greek invasion in three three thirty three. Um, it was taken over by the Greeks, or at least by the the, the Hellenist, um, not religious um, Jews, and therefore it was a bit defiled. And so, by the year one seventy, the the temple was very defiled. There was even an idolatrous um, idol, Zeus, in the temple. And the Jews who were uh, who desired to uh, to return to the temple and rededicate it to God fought against the Greeks and the Hellenists, and they were able to rededicate it. And we say that that dedication took place on the twenty fifth day of Kislev, and that is the reason for this festival. So it's fascinating, and I'm so interested that that's where you started because. There are there's sort of um, uh, what's the word double sides of the same coin two two things that are celebrated and because of the symbolism of Hanukkah we'll talk about it it's often to do with light 
and and the rededication itself. But I'm so glad that you prefaced it by saying we had to have the military victory first in order to be able to go back to the temple and say, okay, enough of you uh, people who have desecrated the uh, our, our holiest place. We're now back. We're rededicating. We're going back to our temple service. And that couldn't have happened without a military victory. You mentioned, by the way, uh, earlier Judah Maccabee. Who, who who was he? Who what, he, he was a character? Was he a prophet? Was he a king? How did what was okay. his role? So here's the deal. <clears throat> um, the way it works is like this, and just as you said, um, the prophet uh, uh, King Solomon when he builds the temple. So he said, and he, it's understood that the nation of Israel um, is blessed with the land of Israel, and their blessing of uh, of being in the land of Israel is conditional. It's conditional to their adherence and subservience to God. The um, the uh, symbol of that relationship is the temple. And the temple is a place where people, the Jewish people and non-Jewish people, can come and commune with God and connect to the greater power. And as long as the temple and the symbol in the temple is the light, the candelabra, the menorah, if that <clears throat> temple is shine, if that light is shining, then it's a message that the political and the spiritual strength uh, of the Jewish people um, is, is is very powerfully uh, lit, and God is with His nation. If one of those uh, extinguishes the political side or the spiritual side, then we have a big problem. And uh, throughout Jewish history, we've been always struggling to return that balance, that there is the political side, which is the, the, the people of Israel in the land of Israel, united, uh, spreading the mission of God, the word, the word of God to the world, as well as the spiritual uh, adherence to laws and, uh, and the prophets. In the story of Hanukkah, there, there was still somewhat political hegemony. They still represented the nation of Israel. They were still together in, in the land of Israel, but the light was extinguishing. The, there was a darkness that was being taken over, and that was um, a darkness called Hellenism. It was a, a rejection of the, the biblical word, it was rejection of uh, the, the traditions and the values. And uh, there was a minority, a small group of a band of uh, a, a biblical a rabbinic family led by a high priest. His name was Matityahu. Matityahu? <laughs> Matthias, maybe? I don't know. Matthias, I think, is the Greek-English and they lived in a in a town called Modi'in, which is twenty minutes um, east of Jerusalem uh, by car. So, and um, they Matityahu was incensed when he learned that um, they were uh, offering sacrifices to other gods in the temple, and that uh, it was actually the the priest. A guy named Menelaus was uh, was he was a Hellenized Jew who really was against Orthodox Jews and he was against uh, the, the biblical traditions and uh, he was doing everything against um, maintaining that light and that that spirit and therefore um, Matityahu started a revolt and he had uh, five sons and um, one of the, the most famous son was uh, Judah who they called the Maccabi, I mean the hammer, and each son had a different uh, title to him, and each son took on the mantle of leadership to fight the battle and to restore uh, sovereignty and to restore spirituality to the people. Awesome. Uh, one of the things that I that I appreciate how you said is that um, the, our, our presence in the land was conditional, but at no point did God ever say, where you you no longer own it, you know it's no longer deeded to you and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just we we've had some uh, instances over the years, which has now been repaired of of been exiled from the land. But it's but it's the presence that's conditional, not the uh, ownership 
of the land itself. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, the land is gifted to Abraham and then Abraham's descendants. Now, a gift is yours as long as you hold on to it. And uh, I mean, it's, a gift is, your, is yours forever. And your ownership over it or your, your you know, connection to it uh, depends on, you know, how well you um, maintain the, the responsibilities that go along with the gift. And therefore, the land is, uh, is uh, given, is bequeathed to Abraham and, uh, and Isaac and Jacob. And in order to make sure that we, uh, that we are worthy of it, we have to follow the laws and the conditions that, are, that come along with that, uh, that great gift. Awesome. So I want to, I uh, on that note, take a break for a minute, and then we're going to come back. And I want to get into the, 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 the rabbinic tradition of, of, of where Hanukkah is coming from. Where, how do we know about it? But let's take a quick break. When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites. Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. You will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. All right. So thank you, Rabbi Balma. We're back. Unlike Purim, Purim is one of those other rabbinic holidays and people and Purim is part of the Bible, the, 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 the Bible that Jews and Christians read. And we know that from the book of Esther. But we don't have that with Hanukkah. So it's still something that, by the way, not only um, uh, Christians who don't read that, who, who we don't have the text, but even we know this uh, to be true in, in, in our lifetime, um, Ethiopian Jews who were separated from the Jewish people long before the destruction of the t- Second Temple, long before uh, the Hanukkah story, that, that uh, military victory and rededication of the Temple, didn't know about that so they didn't celebrate that what's the what's the rabbinic source how do we know that we're supposed to celebrate this um so that's that's a good point the uh the the story is like this why is purim in and hanukkah out okay. the answer is the answer relates to the canonization of the bible so when the bible is uh is 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 being uh completed um, the story of the uh, the Megillah of Esther is still included in the canon, um, but a few a uh, hundred years later, right? The, the story of Esther is in the fourth century, and already by the third century, by the time where the the uh, the Greeks about the fourth the end of the fourth and third century, um, when the, when in the Greeks are um, in control of uh, of Israel, the Bible is closed. And therefore, there there are many, many books that are written. And there's a whole two books, two full books written about the story of the Maccabees um, called um, One Maccabees and Two Maccabees. And they are written in the style. They could have they could have very easily been in the in the in the Tanakh, but it was closed. And therefore, the book of Maccabees um, is outside of the canon. Um a lot of our uh, uh, what we learn about the history is from the Book of Maccabees, but we also have the Talmud, which tells us uh, the story of the Maccabees and the story of Hanukkah. And the Talmud is our—it's um, a juridic work. It's a work of Jewish law. It's an interpretation of the Mishnah, an interpretation of the words of the Torah, with additions based on the fact that the Talmud is written in the third to sixth centuries CE. So um, they're kind of looking backwards and they're saying, let's, we will interpret the, the words of the Bible, but we would also talk about um, the important holiday that took place at the end of the second century, uh, in the second century BCE. And uh, it's called Hanukkah. And why? And so the Talmud in, in the Masechet Shabbat teaches us, and then it, it tells us the story of Hanukkah, and then it tells us laws related to the Hanukkah. 
From the Talmud's perspective, Hanukkah is a miraculous event that there are two miracles that take place. In the Talmud, the miracle of the um, that took place in the temple takes center stage, and the the battles, which were itself miraculous, were uh, not given uh, the central um, perspective in the Talmud. In other sources, the ma- the battle is given. The, so it's really the two the combination of the physical battles of the. Um, Minority, the small band of uh, of uh, of uh, uh, Maccabim against the Greeks and the Hellenists, and that was these eight great battles that took place, and the Maccabees won almost every single one of them, and were able to restore sovereignty, restore um, and kick the, basically the Hellenists out. But the way the Talmud tells the story is more dramatic and with great flair. Tells the story is as follows. After the battle, the Maccabees won the battle. They wanted to go back to rededicate the temple. And they come into the temple and they see that it's all in shambles. And everything had been defiled and everything was impure. And one of the things that you need to, uh, to light, the uh, obviously, to uh, the, the symbol of rededication is the menorah, is the camera, this seven-branched candelabra and in order to light the menorah you need shemenzite you need olive oil but not just any type of olive oil you need olive oil that had not been um impure and if in, if it's defiled by uh someone who was an idolater so then you couldn't use that so they basically searched and searched and searched and they only find one canister of uh impure uh, of pure olive oil and um, the the miracle that the, the 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 Talmud tells us is that that one canister lasted for eight full days, and the canister and, has been uh, good for one day, and it was only good for one day, and instead it lasted for eight days. Now, what is one day to eight days? What does the eight days have to? So this is already a little more complicated because the um, the theory was that. Um, that the only pure olive oil, or this is what archae- Jewish archaeologists say, the, the pure olive oil was actually in the north, in a place called Gamla or in other places in the Galilee, and it took it took three days to get there, and three days to get back. Uh-huh. So um, it would it would mean that they lit the, the candle for they lit the first the, the menorah for one day, and then they had had to spend six days you know, going back and forth and getting more in order that on the eighth day, they would be able to light again. And um, miraculously, uh, it lasted till they were able to get back with purified oil. And that is what's called the miracle of the eight days of Hanukkah. Right. And and the oil theme and the candles that we still light today, and the fact that while there are biblical holidays that each have their Foods that are customary, our foods around Hanukkah are typically deep fried. Exactly. And because of the Talmudic focus on oil, the Talmud then says that for this reason, it is a commandment, a rabbinic commandment, but a commandment to light what we call a Hanukkah, which is an eight branched candelabra even though in the talmud in the in the bible in the temple it was seven branches that's very clear but because the holiday the miracle was for eight days so they created this new um candelabra that has eight branches and we light every day we add a light and uh, by the eighth day we light eight full branches of the of the chanukiah celebrating the miracle of the light and, and therefore, to, yes, everything becomes uh, um, soaked in oil and very, very unhealthy and uh, delicious. Um, <laughs> and delicious. Yes, unhealthy, but delicious. And and by the way, which which the fact that we do this now every day that we light a candle, adding to the light uh, over the course of the eight days was a source of uh, rabbinic discussion in the Talmud as to whether or not we should start with one and continue to go up or begin with eight 
and and decrease. And that's a, a any anything that you can share about that, or or any other of the rabbinic conversations in the Talmud that we that that dust settled and we do such today as a result. Yes, there is a famous discussion about that, a famous debate as to whether we should on the first day light all eight and then decrease, or on the first day we should light one and then uh, increase. And uh, there's debates about that, and we kind of conclude with Beit Hillel and we're saying that we should actually always go up in spirituality, and therefore we start with one and we end with eight. Great. Uh, Modern-day scholarship uh takes note that uh several several issues several things one of them is that we have to remember that the 25th day of kislev uh in the lunar calendar is um around the winter solstice it was yeah. around, it's, it's you know the nature is to, it, it, it's not just jewish uh Jewish holidays that uh that talk about lights during this time it's the time of the dark the darkest day of the of the year and the days are getting shorter and there's there's a bit of a constriction going on and uh it's after this period that the days start getting longer again so uh, in in all kind of uh, different cultures they had some kind of festival of lights but from the Jewish perspective uh, it was not just well let's uh, talk about something that's cosmological that or, or relates to the, uh, the 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 lunar calendar and the solar calendar but it's something that relates to our spiritual component so we kind of um play or or deal with the the notion that during this time there is a lack of light but we are adding light and the way we add light is by doing in it through the Torah, through a uh, adherence to Jewish laws and uh, a connection to uh, to commandments. Great. Um, when you said it before, talking about the the, the evolution of the Talmudic uh, conversation and 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 making Hanukkah a, a rabbinic holiday, something struck me that I never thought about. But I wonder, uh, first of all, I wonder if it's written or or what your, your, maybe just your sociological observations might be. To what extent is the fact that rabbinic writing 200, 300, 500 plus years after the destruction of the Second Temple, you've not, not just got a destruction, but now a second major exile, how much would that have been in, influenced by Hanukkah as this story of overcoming of the rededication is that something that you think the rabbis would have put into the celebration in a way to keep us connected to the land and 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 not if you if i can borrow the 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 metaphor not extinguish the flame of our of our dream of coming back and and rebuilding jerusalem the prophecy in zechariah is the answer to your question we have to remember the prophecy in Zechariah. Zechariah in English. Zechariah. There's the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. His name is Joshua. And God comes to him in a prophecy, and uh, he has a vision. And in the vision, there's the menorah. And the menorah is impure, and the menorah is extinguished. And um, and he he's told in that prophecy to take olive oil and to uh, you know clean... He has to clean himself up from the impurity and he has to relight and rekindle this candelabra. And that prophecy is a symbol to the idea of rekindling and rededicating um, of the nation of Israel. On the, it starts with the spiritual level and, and it, comes, it goes to the physical. And therefore, in the consciousness of, uh, of those people for thousands of years ago, they knew that the symbol of, of Israel is that candelabra, and the rabbis understood that when Judah Maccabee went to rededicate the temple, he may or may not have, you know, looked for that one cruise of oil, but symbolically, of course he did. That's the essence of what it meant to rededicate the temple. And therefore, they then took that historical event, and then they made it a religious moment of to cherish for for years to come that we have the same responsibility wherever we are certainly if we're in the land yeah. of Israel we have a great responsibility to rededicate our efforts to 
the symbol of the rededication up to the temple, rebuilding the temple, but also re- reconnecting and reuniting and uh, uh, re uh, enha- enhancing our commitment to um, Jewish law and the laws of the temple. When we do so through the the candles on the candelabra, then we are uh, showing our commitment to our history and to our nation and to God. This is the number one, the most important mitzvah related to Hanukkah. And we do so in a very public manner. We Ah, take our candelabras. We take our candelabras and we put it in front of our house to show everyone, Jew and non-Jew alike, that Netzach Yisrael, Lo Yishaker, the eternity of Israel, has not faltered, that the light has not been extinguished, that we are here and we are proud. Now, what we did was for thousands of years, we took that candelabra and we lit it outside our homes in Philadelphia and in Buenos Aires and in Australia and in Poland and wherever we were. But there might have been pogroms, in which case we had to take that candelabra into our home and only show it to ourselves. And in Israel... And uh, we're able to take it outside and show the world. Excellent. Excellent. What, what, and so I'm glad you said that. I I wasn't even thinking in that direction, but I'm so glad you, you, you mentioned it. What other things you, you, you've spent most of your life in America, like I did, or North America. What, um, what are the unique things? We grow up in the U.S. Hanukkah is a different, celebrated differently. I mean, first of all, we're not surrounded by a culture of Hanukkah, where even the music in the malls is Hanukkah music, or or uh, the the holiday sales are not Christmas oriented, but are Hanukkah oriented, and you see displays of the fried donuts that we eat, the sufganiyot. What what else is different being here, and particularly raising a family here from being uh, in the diaspora? Listen, everything is it changes. Everything is driven by what's amazing is that the market. It's always nice when economy and uh, and religion can coincide, right? The market <laughs> is driven by the holiday. So uh, a month a month ago or a few weeks ago already, a month before Hanukkah, you start smelling, <laughs> you smell the jelly donuts, and the all the malls. Uh, everyone is get gearing up and everyone knows that this is going to be the festival of lights. And in the streets, they're adorning the, the streets with, with lights and menorahs. And this, this festive spirit is taking over and you're swept away in it by it. And on the buses, it says happy Hanukkah. And in the, in the news reports, it says happy Hanukkah. And people are all kind of uh, getting ready and, and, and singing songs. And, and, and it's a, it's a, it encompasses every aspect of your life. When we grew up in New York, it was like a Hanukkah thing. So you know, you you did your your mitzvah and you 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 lit your lamp and you tried to have a party here or there, but it was a it's a different existence. Very That's different existence. Yeah. And 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 what and how do you how do you feel um that that impacts about raising kids here? Raising kids in a Jewish environment. Jewish country. I think there's nothing like it. I think the sacrifice that that we made, leaving the very comforting, comfortable existence that we uh, might have had in uh, in the United States, uh, we did it for our children. We did it so that our children would grow up with great pride, not knowing any other type of experience, not knowing what it means to be a minority, not knowing what it means to be to have to hide your Jewishness. Not knowing, you know, what it means to uh, to be, be somewhat embarrassed by some kind of religious connection, and here there's no such thing, and uh, that's why we did it so that we can be at the forefront of Jewish history in the modern era. And I love that you said that, and 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 then going back to your earlier comment uh, when you were talking about in Hanukkah specifically being focused on a not just the re- rededication of the temple, but a dedication to the temple that that's central in in our children's lives in a way that's instinctive it's not something that we even have to encourage them about yes and um 
when we read the story of Hanukkah, we can't help but feel um, that similarity. You know, it's, it's remarkable deja vu. And that's why um, modern state of Israel became so obsessed with the Maccabees. Uh-huh. Because we, we're talking about a group of Jews that are s- struggling to gain sovereignty and gain peace with an external enemy. And they say, okay, we can't do it alone with praying to God. We actually have to fight. So there's fighting spiritually and fighting physically. And the two together represent uh, true freedom. And about 2,000 years later, more than 2,000 years later, uh, the uh, Israelis are, are doing the same thing. And my our children are doing the same thing in protecting us and fighting for survival just to, just to be free and to be peaceful and uh, following in the same footsteps. Nothing like it. I want to take a break uh, in a minute, but again, actually something that I had, that we take for granted and I, and I was going to mention and then forgot about, and you just reminded me to mention one of the, one of the customs on Hanukkah is you uh, will use the Yiddish word, uh, play a game called dreidel, where if you're like, which is a top that has four Hebrew letters on it. And it's a game and different, different ways to play with, with different, uh, I don't know, items to use, but the top is similar and has the same four Hebrew letters, except what's different is that here in Israel, the letters refer to the, the Hebrew letters are, are nun, gimel, uh, hey, and pay, and pay for Neskadol Hayapo. And a great miracle happened here. And what's fascinating is that families in America may know that. But in but in America and throughout the years of the diaspora, a, a dreidel would be used that has a different set of words. A great miracle happened there, and that's a yearning or a memory of what happened. But here, it's in our well from our balcony. It's in our front yards now, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Let's let's take a quick break because I want to talk about being here in the land and, and putting on your tour guide hat. For a minute, but let's take a quick break. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. You're not just a gifted communicator and rabbi. You've also had the privilege of getting one of the greatest Israeli educations as a tour guide. And and, that, and that's not, um, with no rhetoric, that's for real. Uh, the, the, the amount of material that you have to know and, and, and the intimacy with the land and, and overlaying that with our, with our biblical tradition. So put on your tour guide hat. If we were to go out on a tour today, what are the things that we are going to go and do and see that are relating to Hanukkah here in the land? Unbelievable. Um, I took the tour guide course 10 years ago, and, and I, I'm convinced that every Jew should take this course. I mean, wow. you develop a love affair with the land um, and with the people and with the language and with the history, um, but most significantly with the land. And um, Hanukkah is a good example of uh, of the uniqueness of where we live. Uh, you and I, um, we are in a very special uh place living in the the Judean hills um one of the battles 
we see from our, well, not our Marpeset, from our, our bedroom window, really. We see an actual city uh, where a battle of Hanukkah took place, which is unbelievable. Um, many of the battles took place around the Modi'in and in a southern, in, in a uh, kind of like the western Judean hills, um, west of Jerusalem, um, throughout that kind of ba- uh, that, that uh, lowlands over there. But they went as far as uh, as South uh, Jerusalem to uh, where the current place of Elazar is. Now, whether it's in Elazar uh, as we see it today, or it's a little further because uh, a little further south is a place called Beit Alazaria. Like there's uh, there's there's an Arab village called Alazaria, um, and it could be related that that's where the actual Elazar was. And who was Elazar? Elazar was one of the sons of. Matityahu, he was a, a, a general who was fighting with the Maccabees. He was, well, we don't call him the Maccabees. They're the Hashmonaim. The dynasty was Hashmonai, Hasmonean. And each son played their role in battling against the Greeks. And in, uh, in Elazar, Elazar's story, it was actually quite tragic because he uh, died in battle. But we have a recording in the book of uh, of Maccabees of Elazar fighting the battle and uh, the uh, the the tragedy of of him. Um, he actually fought against uh, the elephants and uh, he was crushed by one of them. But um, that battle took place right in our very in our backyards. By the way, where um, do we read about that Elazar fighting and being crushed by an elephant? That sounds that sounds like you just made it up. Book of Maccabees. Book of Maccabees. I, I, I can get you the, the chapter and verse. Um, okay. 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 I just want for people who are unfamiliar to be able to say, oh, that's, you know, that, that might be an interesting show, but yeah. doesn't sound very real, Rabbi. It's but very it's real. Um, the, the Book of Maccabees are two huge books, and it goes through every single battle and every all the details. And, um, you know, Jews don't necessarily know all these details because, as I said, it's not part of the Torah. So, you know, we all know the Megillah of, uh, and this Purim story. But the Hanukkah battles, uh, you really need to know the land a little more and and know the stories of what Judah Maccabee was able to do, which is quite rem- remarkable. Um, there's an amazing, um, but, but it's in Hebrew, there's a, there's an archaeologist or a historian that that kind of, talks about the eight battles of the Hanukkah story and they, they're represented in the eight branches of the, of the Hanukkah. Uh, um, and, and in the middle, right? Cause there's the, 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 between the fourth and the fifth day, right? Right in the middle, they rededicated the temple, uh-huh. which is something we don't, we generally don't think about. We generally think that the Hanukkah story took place, that there was a battle against the, uh, the Greeks. They defeated the Greeks and then they rededicated the temple and there was quiet. Nothing of the sort. That's not what happened at all. As with anything in life, it's much more convoluted. It's much more complex. It took a longer period. Judah Maccabee, the great Judah Maccabee, dies in the middle of the story. Did you know that? The great hero of the uh, becomes Yonatan Chashmonai. Yonatan, the, 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 he, he, he becomes, uh, and he becomes really a, a more of a diplomatic leader. Judah Maccabee is the battle, is the general, um, but there's Shimon and there's Yonatan, and we mentioned Elazar. Um, and each one plays a role, and uh, Judah Maccabee is the one who startled, really, the Greek nation. Um, because, remember, the Greeks, they came, um, Alexander the Great conquered, but it was really his generals one was called ptolemy he was in charge of the egyptian land conquered by the greeks and the other one was seleucus right so that's created the seleucid empire and he was really in the south in the north in the syria and there were um kings and emperors of and the by the way they were battling against each other ptolemies and the seleucids were battling israel with the minor minor insignificant details but of course it was a battlefield that these two great empires were fighting against and israel in the middle was struggling to figure out 
who were they going to follow? Were they going to follow the Ptolemies or the Seleucids? And of course, this question Jews have been answering until they in the land of Israel, but Jews in exile were answering for thousands of years. Who should we follow? You know, and the answer, of course, was always the same. We have to follow the winner. We have to follow the victor, whoever the victor is. And they were trying to figure out always who the victor is. And they placed their odds on if the victor is going to be, you know, the British or the victor is going to be the Turks. If the British, whoever it is, if we curry favor with them, then we will be able to reap the benefits. And um, that's um, that's really what was going on for a few hundred years. The Jews were passive and they were just trying to support the big battle and enemies that were fighting against each other. But um, with Matityahu, he said, no, 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 we're going to fight our own battle and we're going to get rid of the Greeks. We're going to be a thorn in their sides so that they're going to have to um, uh, finally make peace with us and recognize us as sovereign in our own land. And that's, that's the, that's the real story that took place. So it's not that we, by the way, as unimaginable as it, would be to see elephants out our backyard window um, today. But as, 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 um, as significant as the dedication, if we were doing a Hanukkah tour, it would take us from Modi'in, Hashmona'im, which is adjacent to Modi'in, right? Uh, 20, 30 minutes to the west of Jerusalem, down south, 20, 30 minutes south of Jerusalem to where we are, or, or a little bit less, to where these battles took place. Um, and it's not as if we don't have enough battlefields in modern day, but if we were to go back, and whether literally or metaphorically, we can go back to the physical sites and and identify where things happened. Absolutely, 100%. I would take you on a tour in search of the Maccabees, I would take you on a tour to the valleys of Horon, where the battles took place, and we would read from the book of Maccabees, and we would see what Judah saw, and we would be able to imagine what it was like, and how Judah was, he was kind of like guerrilla warfare, he understood the t- terrain better, the, the Greeks were kind of like in a phalanx, and they, they, they needed their space, and therefore, Judah was able to utilize the uh, the the grounds of the uh, uh, of the lands, the lowlands, much better, and how he was able to overcome them. It would be a very thrilling tour of understanding what Judah understood, what he what he was working with, and ultimately, it would lead to Jerusalem towards to the rededication of the temple. So we're kind of surrounding Jerusalem, then coming back. Uh, back into the, that's ultimate. And then we would actually go uh, to the most recent, I guess, in the last ten years. Um, we would actually be able to go to what we, what archaeologists believe is the the resting ground of the Maccabees themselves. Ah, where's that? On the highway on four four three. They they were doing some some work on the highway. Which is this is so typical of Israel, right? The bulldozer, they're they're widening the road, and all of a sudden you're like, ah, stop! Call the antiquities. We found something, and it turned out that it, they found a um, a big big grave site, and ossuaries where they collected bones and tunnels. And on one of the ossuaries where they collected bones, it says the word. Uh, um, it doesn't say. Um, I'm not sure it says Maccabi. It might say uh, it has Hebrew names and names uh, from that period. And um, I'd have to remember what it says that remind maybe Modi'in or. Uh-huh. Oh, no, it says Chashmonai. It says okay. Chashmonai. Okay. So that's pretty significant. Very significant. And, Very and, and significant. on a lighter note, where, where would you take us for donuts and what's your favorite filling? <laughs> Um, there's contests throughout the, uh, the, the month of which store does the best ones. And when I was growing up and you were growing up, there was jelly and maybe some chocolate. Yeah. And now there are 25 to 30 flavors and you can get this one and this one. And the prices have gone up. It, it, it's gone way out of proportion. And, uh, but the still, it, it's still as, uh, as delicious as ever. And, uh, it's a fun 
if you're going to come for a, a trip to Israel, come during Hanukkah. It's a wonderful experience, and everyone's uh, in a joyous mood with a little heartburn. <laughs> with a little, with a little heartburn. Yeah, some of those donuts are actually works of art right now. Uh, so, so let's let's begin to wrap up. Uh, you you mentioned earlier, which I'm really glad you did, that Hanukkah all comes around the winter solstice because it's a lunar calendar. It doesn't always fall exactly, but within a couple of weeks, either way, we're we're still in a period where we're where where things are darker now. Um, now, of course, in the West, uh, where where there's a Judeo Christian culture. Hanukkah, we mentioned that I mentioned this at the outset. Hanukkah is sometimes referred to as the Jewish Christmas, but maybe that's because of the giving presents or the fact. And I only thought of this. I don't know if you've ever realized, but Hanukkah is on the 25th of Kislev. Christmas is on the 25th of December and they come around the same time. What, why? I mean, we, you, you've just unpacked so much of what Hanukkah is about, but what's your response as an American born and ordained rabbi? to the notion that Hanukkah is a Jewish Christmas? Well, um, I would always remind everyone that uh, we're, the old, we're the old guard here. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and Christianity is, uh, is an offshoot of, of Judaism, right? Jesus was uh, a Jewish, uh, Jewish guy, whether he was a rabbi or he was a leader, he was, he was Jewish. And therefore, but when Jesus was uh, was celebrating Hanukkah, um, it was two hundred years past, one hundred fifty years since since the Hanukkah story took place. And therefore, I would I would remind everyone to uh, li- listen. The Judeo Christian tradition is a is a saying because there's a lot of uh, crossover, and there are a lot of influences. And Christianity is obviously heavily influenced by Judaism and the, and, the, and the Bible, but of course it departs and takes on its own traditions. And it's not unheard of that Jews, uh, Judaism would, uh, would be influenced by those traditions as well. I, I imagine that there was no such thing as a sermon in a synagogue um, in the temple, um, uh, in kind of sermons uh, probably based on Christian influence. There's give and take um, in, you know, in, in the culture and uh, on some levels. Um, and therefore, the fact that there is, as I said before, originally, there is a, there were other cultures and other religions that had festivals of lights. And it's not uh, foreign to think about um, that during this time of darkness, the Talmud talks about Adam making some kind of special day realizing that the day uh in in Eden in the garden of eden so it's a universal notion that the days are getting shorter and and light and fire and uh, is something that can comfort us and then we each of us takes our tradition to um its own special place and the jewish perspective is yes the days are getting shorter and therefore there is a need to have some kind of light for warmth and for guidance and for, for shining brightly. But that brings us to the temple and for Christian Christianity it brings them to a different place. So Excellent. I'm okay with that. I want to come back to that, but just a question, a thought that I just had, um, where's the, uh, um, the book of Esther actually tells us how to observe much of Purim. And part of that is giving gifts, giving baskets of, of 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 treats to one another, and we do and we do that today. Where's the tradition of uh, giving gifts from in Hanukkah? Is that just a Western thing? I think it's a Western thing. I think that that's already part of that discussion that we had. Like, uh, you know, Hanukkah is about the menorah. The Talmud talks about the menorah. It talks about the oil. It talks about dairy, but it never talks about giving gifts and things. But you know, you're a kid, and uh, wherever you are, and it's uh, it's around that time of year, and all your friends are uh, are getting gifts every day. Um, I imagine that that's something that just emerged. Got it. Okay, so, so I want to maybe wrap up with just you, you mentioned Jesus celebrating Hanukkah, and it's actually one of the things. That's so interesting. I was just asked to do a teaching about Hanukkah when I was in Dallas. And I spent, it's strange for me as an Orthodox Jew to focus a lot of time on New Testament, but actually in the New Testament, in the book of John, there's a reference to Jesus being in Jerusalem and celebrating Hanukkah. It's um, John 10, 
verse 22, talking about being in Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And that's not a direct quote. It's, uh, and, and of course, all the, all the English is, is various translations from the Greek. But obviously, Jesus was a first century Jew. Yet, I'm, I, I'm still perplexed. Maybe you have a thought on this. Of course, he would come to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage holidays, for Passover, for Shavuot, uh, Pentecost, and for Sukkot, because these were those were obligatory parts of being being a first century Jew in the holiday. But I, I'm still trying to figure out why he would have come to Jerusalem, other than you had well, the temple was not yet even destroyed. We were being temple centric. You have any? Did that come up in your? Probably not in your rabbinic training, but maybe in the tour guide training. Uh, no, there was no. I, I did not. I did not recall uh, learning about Jesus coming for the, the the Hanukkah holiday. But it makes sense. I mean, um, in uh, Samuel um, goes to a place called uh, um, Mitzpah. It's modern day Nebi Samuel. It's in the twenty minutes north of Jerusalem, and that's where the people ask him for a king. And they 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 kind of recognize that the the the, the temple and and the monarchy uh, they they were all kind of coming together. And um, when Gedalia, um, when the temple was destroyed, Gedalia, who was in charge of the temple uh, or charge of the Jews after the temple was destroyed, goes to Mitzvah. That's where he is, and they that's where they uh, they. Um, they kind of lament the destruction of the temple, realizing that that's that's a place we need to return to. And he's murdered there. Uh-huh. And when Matityahu and Judah Maccabee are rallying the people, where do they go? They go to Mitzvah. They go to this one place and they say, let's let's rededicate the temple. And, and so, so Hanukkah is in line with the destruction of the temple and the rededication of the temple. And it would make sense that that a holiday that is so significant to uh, rededicating and reconnecting and, and warding off uh, foreign influences is something that a first-generation uh, Jew and a first-generation Jewish leader would want to make that statement, whether he went to mitzvah or not. But he certainly would want to go to the temple to uh, to, to dedicate and to, and to highlight the importance of this day. But first-century so. Jews, it, it wasn't a thing that they, people came from all over the land, from the Galilee, every year for Hanukkah, was it? I don't know. Okay. Um, but... Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, Hanukkah is a. It's a festival that speaks to the centrality of the temple in our consciousness. And whether it was a first century Jew or fifth century Jew or tenth century Jew or Jew in modern day, it should that should be uh, heavily on our minds. Not just a day of jelly donuts and spin, spinning the dreidel, but rather what it means to. Um, fight for and sacrifice on behalf of a return to uh, God, a return to country, a return to spirituality. Well, I think that so much sums up uh, a a really fabulous conversation and also segues for a future political conversation, which is those who seek to uh, de-Judaize Jerusalem and the land of Israel. It's uh, Hanukkah is maybe a little bit harder because even the book of Maccabees is not considered canon part of uh part of the the our extended bible but but even christians if they're reading john uh 10 properly understand that jesus was a first century jew and celebrated hanukkah in the temple and he did that because he was a first century jew and it's uh not just hard but disingenuous at best to say that there was never a jewish presence and this is not a there's no significance exactly Awesome. Um, Rabbi Balmo, always a delight. Um, Thank you very much, Jonathan. Always a pleasure to talk to you. To uh, borrow an appropriate seasonal seasonable pun, you certainly definitely shed light on the, oh. uh, on, the, on the holiday. Thank you. Thank you very much. All the best. You too. Now, as I always say to wrap up, if you've stayed with us this long, we deserve a reward. Um, the, I think the reward in of itself is always the conversation. But beginning this year, and we're wrapping up the first year, the Genesis 123 Foundation has offered a special gift. Each month, we give away 
a volume from Jonathan's bookshelf. This month actually is a book that I have an occasion to speak with Rabbi Baumel about. Um, it, it's the year end. We're looking ahead. Um, and, and I wanted to give a book to people that's that's significant looking at the Jewish future. And I have a fabulous copy sitting here right on my desk of a book called Future Tense by one of the greatest thinkers, modern contemporary Jewish leaders and communicators, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, who, who unfortunately died uh, recently. But we're going to give away a copy of, of his book this month. And all you need to do is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media, like and follow us. And when you comment and share this link, we're going to select one winner at random. And I look forward to sharing that copy, uh, that, that this volume with you next month. We're grateful that this podcast is sponsored, as always, by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Cul- Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area and need something or just want to go say hi and thank them for being part of conversations like this, please do so. And also special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to continue to make conversations like this possible. And if you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion or a holiday, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments and questions as part of an ongoing dialogue and invite you to send any questions, especially for conversations like this about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this program with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean Mountains. Hallelujah.